trying to break back. A double kill for Huey. A check for Huey. Oh, oh, I can't God. believe it. I should have Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Talk Big Brain. This is episode eight. This is going to be the Valorant part of this week. I'm your host, Jack Six Cooley, along with our co-host, Vincent Newt Leuzy. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Vincent? I'm doing well. I'm ready to talk about some Valorant because I actually I played some the other day. Um, and it, it, was, it was quite an experience playing some ranked, so, so we'll talk about that. Oh, yes, of course. But I think the first thing for us to talk about is uh, the more recent Pulse Invitational, which just happened, I believe it was a little over a week ago. Yeah, a little over a week ago. Uh, the last yeah. big North American tournament that's happened. Um, and some interesting stuff we got out of this one. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the teams that were must watches coming into this well coming into it right tsm was there t1 wasn't there and you're always thinking tsm's gonna win right because tsm's the most dominant valorant team right now and tsm dominated their group they got out and then they lost to cloud nine two to one uh so it was a huge 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 surprise i think for for most people um, and, and I was very surprised, and it, it's really exciting because Cloud9 currently has this roster where they have not signed uh, a majority of their players, right? They know they like Tens and um, one of their other players, but everyone else is kind of on a trial basis, right? To see, hey, when they sign a team, is this someone they're going to want to sign, uh, or should they keep looking, right, for a permanent team? But to be able to beat the best team in Valorant, it means they at least have some of the right pieces. Right. Yeah, um, definitely. The The interesting thing about this is, you know, even though this tournament went that way, where TSM lost in quarterfinals uh, to Cloud9 2-1, uh, it still was very close. And I think that you can't discount TSM as one of the top, at least three teams in NA at this moment. Even some people are still saying that they're the top team. Um, which I would agree with. I think that they still have some of the best players and play styles um, that we've seen in Valorant thus far. Um, something to note about that is um, in the quarterfinals, they were actually the only quarterfinals match to go 2-1. All of the other matches went 2-0. And um, the only one that I'm surprised that went 2-0 was the Sentinels-Immortals uh, matchup which shows in my mind um, that Sentinels are gradually improving up to that area where I thought they'd be at. Um, They ended up actually taking third place in this Pulse Invitational, um, and it's really exciting. Um, I think they perform super well in group stages. They constantly get plus 20 uh, rounds on people, which I think is impressive. Um, And... 
yeah, you know, I think this is a pretty solid team of mostly ex-CSGO players, but they were all really mechanically gifted ex-CSGO players. So I'm excited to watch them play uh, a little bit more. Um, and then the only other team, the the only quarterfinals match that I uh, that I was a little bit less interested in was the Code 7 versus Together We Are Terrific team, um, which now I believe has a new name, if I can pull it up. Oh, no, 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 it's still them. Um, a lot of the teams ended up getting new names after this weekend and semi-franchising, if that makes sense. Unlike League of Legends, where like yeah. teams and orgs own them, uh, it's more or less they're and either so being signed by teams or they're creating their own names now instead of like these weird names that have just the Valorant symbol as their logo. They actually now have more official teams, which is kind of cool. Right. Yeah, it's good. It's definitely a yeah. good thing. It's more like just organizing into a team, right? Like it's it's kind of like going from like a you know like a pickup you know team with your friends and just calling yourself something silly to oh this is like a, a legit part of a league now, so we have to get like like a real team name and logo. Um, sort yeah. Of thing. So. And it's it's so interesting to me because some of the like the teams that are not doing that well have some of the coolest names, like Lazarus. Lazarus is such a cool name, but they went like minus 17 and went 0 and 3 in group stages. But like the name is so cool. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I think part of the reason it's like that is because the reason they have cool names is because they weren't picked up by like, right, like TSM or Cloud9, which yeah. kind of like are cool names or whatever, but you've heard them before. So they're not as exciting or cool sounding. Right. Um, and even some of the smaller, like, like Gen G is is less prominently known in North America, and, and mm-hmm. same with T One, but like those are still like right Huge franchises orgs. that already exist, oh, yeah. orgs that already exist. Whereas like these smaller teams, they're not getting picked up by an org, so it's like basically up to them to come up with the coolest stuff they can think of, and I think that gives them more flexibility, right? So mm-hmm. it, it it makes it exciting, and I think it's fun because I personally always like rooting for the underdog in almost every case. You know, unless it's my favorite team. Um, so it's easier to root for the underdog when they have a sick name and a sick as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A sick name and a sick logo is always helpful, at least in terms of these matches, to give a little bit more uh, enthusiasm towards these teams that are on the come up. Um, but yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit. You mentioned Gen G. Um, there were a lot of there were a few big names actually in this tournament. Uh, I should say a lot of because it was a 16 team tournament, and I think the big names in here are Gen G, Cloud Nine, T1's Academy team, which actually almost made it through group stages, which would have been really funny because it would have shown that not only is T1 good, but T1 Academy can also contend. Um, Sentinels and Immortals. Um, there's this other team that I've been seeing a lot, Charlotte Phoenix, and then Echo 8 and Code 7 are in most tournaments um, as well. So this was a tournament of a lot of teams who have been participating in a lot of invitationals and opens. Um, so we got to really see how these teams intermingled um, and really played um, in the group stages of this. Um, I think that... Uh, Tens in particular from Cloud9 really showed off uh, all the things that you can actually do with Jet. Yeah. Um, I think that that was like an absolutely stellar performance. Um, I think that 
more weaknesses have been shown with Sage, but also more weaknesses shown with uh, teams that are reliant on Sage. So it's making Sage a little bit more flexible uh, in the meta, at least in terms of pro meta. I'm not necessarily saying you should dump Sage on your uh, solo queue games. Um, but yeah, overall this tournament, since we had been deep into patch 1.03, uh, people had started to understand the meta a little bit more. Um, and we started to see a more operator based meta and a more shotgun based meta, uh, come through in this tournament, mm -hmm. which we definitely hadn't seen like flushed out in prior tournaments before. Um, I don't know. What, what did you think? What did you notice about these games that happened? Um, well, I, I wanted to focus in on a specific series, but before I go do that, in general, I did notice teams using Sage less, which I, I think is exciting because uh, I think it's kind of like League of Legends, and I know not everyone that listens to this lit watches League of Legends, hmm. but it's a good example of a, a, a professional esport that stayed around the scene for a long time, and, and not just for a short period, which is, I think, what Valorant's aiming for. Um, yeah. and, and in League of Legends, the, the similarity that I'm drawing here is they have champions, and here you have agents that you select. And for games like that, one of the huge, the most big things about keeping the game around and keeping it playable and keeping it exciting to watch professionally uh, is rotation. And that means sometimes some agents get played, and sometimes you overbuff other ones that they get played. And whenever there's an agent or a champion that, that stays in the meta, and it's kind of a stuck there, like a, like a permalock, it, it, it becomes less interesting uh, very mm -hmm. quickly for both viewers and players. Um, and and, it, and it, if, you, if it's too much of a problem, it, it can cause the eSport to die. So I think it's really important um, that, that it's becoming less essential to have a Sage. And I think that's a really good, healthy thing for the game. And I'm hoping once another healer's added, it, it'll make it even more so. Um, and the end goal is obviously to make all agents equally pickable, but but that's not the that's never going to be the the world that we live in, right? That's right too ideal. Um, so I'm excited um, that 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 Sage we're seeing it less in this tournament. Another, I also like the shotgun meta because I think uh, shotguns can be very fun, and I think a lot of the times people think that they're just worse. Um, and it's really good because shotguns cost less, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can do kind of a, instead of a full save on a round where you really could buy a little bit, you, you can got to do a shotgun round and still be effective enough to maybe steal the round and get a win. Yeah. And I like it, that. It makes really interesting, uh, it makes for really interesting decisions during whether or not you should half buy or not. Um, especially on offense because shotguns aren't as good on offense, but at the same time, if um, the defense is running double op and you're creative and you're running maybe a double duelist composition, um, you can actually make that work pretty well and try to get early picks that lead into close quarters combat um, where these shotguns shine. So, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting too to see the meta shifts. I, yeah, and I think the thing, the, the other thing that shotguns do as becoming part of the meta. Is, is it makes Jet uh, more of a staple pick, because mm -hmm. I think Jet really excels on shotguns. Uh, yeah. I forget, I don't know if you watch some high-level Valorant solo queue, but there's this guy in solo queue, I think his name is Bones or something like that, okay. um, who pretty much only buys the Judge um, <laughs> every round. I'm not kidding. A specifically on Split, he's a monster, and he terrorizes these pro players 
um, by just like taking the shot, the judge, and using Jet to dash to right different positions, aggressive mm-hmm. positions early that you can't turn without getting one hit. And and if you yeah. think you're gonna get like a long angle, um, Bones on Jet will dash towards the person and get the um, you know jumping shotgun right the dash mm-hmm. into the air the dash towards and, and I think like Jet's ability to reposition and like attack like close that gap fast um, really makes shotguns really strong because it allows you to close the gap on, on rifles because it is kind of hard to hit hit during dash. Um, and a lot, or if they're not the person with the rifle isn't looking right, you can dash and get that gap closed before they even have the peak. So right. um, I think shotguns and jet kind of go together in that fashion. Um, I've actually seen Wardell a lot on first mm-hmm. round instead of buying a classic by the um, I forget what it's called, but the, the, the little yeah the shorty, yeah. Uh, the little pistol shotgun, and, and actually like pop off with it. And, and I think that's really interesting because. Also, the only things I've typically seen is classics and ghosts first mm-hmm. round. Um, and most of the time when I see someone with a shorty, they're just trolling and they die. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad <laughs> to see... Hello, hell, dude. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that, that there, there's more options, right? Because yeah. you want to see really everything get used, like all the guns and, and all the things be viable. So it, it opens up more viability. Um, just to jump into the, I think we should jump straight into the Cloud9 TSM series, uh, yeah. because I think that was probably, I mean, you could say even the best series, even though that, you know, that there was a finals. Um, I yeah. think it was definitely one of the most exciting. Uh, kind of an overview of it is Cloud9 dominated map one, which was TSM's pick, and then TSM dominated map two, which was Cloud9's pick in a dominant fashion. And then... The third map was so close. Um, So there were like two really dominant ones. So you got to see both teams at their peak. And then um, you you got to see like kind of a really close one. And I think something I learned from this series is that Cloud9 is going to be so, so good. Because uh, as I said earlier, right, they they haven't long-term signed all their players. They've long-term signed Tens and Relics. Um, who were who were both insane? They were both the top two on their team every time. Yeah. Um, but if like pers- let's say that they can replace one or even two people on their team with someone that's an upgrade, then I think they can actually permanently contest TSM at these tournaments, right? Yeah. I-, I would say that I I still kind of see this one as a once sort of event, right? If I saw these two teams play again, I would probably still pick TSM, but. Yeah. I would say that I, I think this is really good for Cloud9 because they're not like TSM. They have not signed everyone yet to these uh, longer deals. So they're still looking, right? So I think this is a really good sign for them. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. This definitely was the closest series. Um, I think the only ones that were closer was the other 2-1 out of the whole weekend, which was Gen G versus Sentinels, and then the actual grand final between Gen G and Cloud9, even though it was 2-0 for Gen G. Uh, both those series were really close, um, and tens performed like amazingly the whole weekend. Like nothing but props to say. I think Relics is a really good um, playmaker as well, and I think Mitch and Shinobi are also uh, forces to be reckoned with. I think they also have their points in time. I think Mitch mainly plays uh, Sentinel type players, so like uh, Sage and Cipher. Um, 
and I think Shinobi plays uh, more controller-esque type of uh, agents as well. Um, but I remember seeing their names yeah. a lot, and I remember Mitch specifically clutching often on uh, Ascent. So I think some of these players are actually like pretty good um, and good supplemental players to have right now too. Yeah, I I, I was I, I actually totally agree with you. What I was gonna say is Mitch uh, was playing the Cipher a lot. I think Shinobi yeah. took Sage duty when they need needed Sage and Cipher um, when mm-hmm. they decided to run that. But Mitch was like, not only was he playing the safe Sentinel style, he was also lurking sometimes, right? And he mm-hmm. would, he would clutch like just exactly what you said, like clutch up these rounds. And, and like on the average round, Mitch, I would say was not good. But any round that like tens and and relics kind of dropped, and we're like, oh crap, that was a bad round out of us. He was like, oh, it's okay, guys. I'll take care of it. I'll get a triple kill, and we'll win this round. Like it, it was insane, yeah. just how synced up it seemed they were like i i don't know if it was on kind of like an intentional thing from him right how, how like how he changes his play style d- depending on how the round's going but it seemed like every time that relics and tens weren't carrying the round he like any other round that they won was because he was like oh it's okay i got it and he, he never popped off in a round that tens and relics also did well it, it seemed like right it seemed yeah. like either he was going to carry them through the round or tens and um Relics were gonna carry. Relic was gonna carry them through the round. So it was, I think it was really impressive from him. And I actually, right, this is, uh, you know, I know I said that they weren't signed and they could, you know, get improvements. This could get him signed, right? Mm-hmm. I, I like. There's a reason they're on the team is because they think they could be those pieces, right? And after beating TSM and him looking like that, I think that's a, a, a good showing from him to try to get signed because I think, long term, Cloud Nine will probably be one of the staples. Because um, they're just a really good org in general. Um, their owner Jack does a really good job um, mm-hmm. with, with coaching staff and stuff. So I think they'll be around a long time. So getting signed on a team like this would be really, really good. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think that the one of the reasons why Mitch comes to mind so much is because like cipher players have the opportunity to do those things like lurking and clutch. Like, the person who I always think of is Crashies from T1. Like, he plays Cypher pretty much like a madman. Like, he can clutch rounds. Like, uh, I would believe that Crashies could clutch around 1v5 as Cypher. And he Cypher's not even a duelist. But, like, it, it's kind of one of those agents that has a really high skill ceiling um, and a lot of yeah. opportunities to play multiple roles um yeah so th- that's that's what i like about it and I, that's i guess why mitch's name comes to mind is he also plays cypher and he has those clutch situations too um so yeah I think he's a good addition. and i don't want to get too distracted from the person who the team that won this tournament right gen oh, g yeah. um they have some insane players on, on oh their yeah team, right? um i think uh i mean why don't why don't you tell me who who, who your top guys are and i'll kind of you know, follow that up with, with who I think. Actually, why, why don't you just brief everyone with, with who's on that roster? Because uh, not ev- everyone listening might not know all of those players. Yeah, so Genji has, it's actually a full Canadian team. So it's a fully Canadian roster. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was one of the things that's just like a not necessarily need to know, but kind of a fun fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so the, the players on this team are Effies, uh, GMD, Huni. Uh, which kind of sounds like Hooney, but it's not Hooney. Um, 
Mikhail or MKL. Um, I, I think what most of the announcers were calling him was MKL. And then player one. Um, so the people who stand out in my mind as like the consistent playmakers, kind of like what you were saying about tens and relics are more GMD and player one. Um, and then more of the playmaker on the team is MKL. Um, uh, and I think that's more or less based around the agents that they play, but also their play style. Um, GMD and player one are pretty aggressive. Um, and MKL is just pretty clutch. I think that he just handles stressful situations really well. Uh, in the game. I'm not sure who their IGL is. I think that it's GMD. Um, I can check really quick if they have yeah. public well, info. While you check, I'll jump in and say, I think player one is maybe one, one of the best players right now. Uh, like, definitely mm-hmm. one of the best riflers. Um, player yeah. one would just walk into like a, a 1v2 or, or peek someone that was already looking right where player one was Right, right at that corner, and player one would win these, win these duels. It, it was insane. Um, I think player one's just mechanical ability is on another level. Like, I, I think it's also kind of funny because of of his name, player one. Um, you know, oh, he, ironically, it makes him seem almost like a CPU, uh, like like a like right. a game bot. Um, right. Especially with the, the amount of times he won. Uh, the, these fights, I didn't think he was gonna win. I was like, I swear, that's like, that's like an aimbot. Like it's like, like watching um, the OpenAI beat beat Dota two pros. It's like it's cheating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I think it, it was really exciting to see him. I think he looks so so good right now. Um, and I think uh, Kuhn, um is like almost like a um, B tier Wardell, uh, at least mm-hmm. from what I saw at this tournament. Right. Um, Kuhn was playing like Jet and, and running around with an op and trying to turn these corners. And I don't think um, he's as good as Wardell uh, yet, at least. Yeah. But there was definitely some moments where, right, if you turned nameplates off for, for a round or two, you would be like, is, is that Wardell? Right? Mm-hmm. Is this TSM? Um, so I think that was cool, look, looking cool as well. Yeah. I I agree. I think that there are moments like that that they have. Um, They do not have information on who their uh, IGL is or who their uh, team captain is. Um, I'm assuming it's GMD because I think that's what I remember the uh, analysts saying while they were casting. Um, But anyway, yeah, GMD to me seems like kind of the star of the show of this team. Um, I, I see him top fragging pretty consistently. Um, and also something else to point out is that I think with, um, the win with pulse invitational and the way that the scoring system works for, uh, Valorant tournaments. So if you don't know, um, Valorants are divided into different tiers of tournaments. So they range from S tier to C tier. Um, and then there's show matches, which have no, uh, consolation in terms of, um, your placement or ability for international tournaments. Um, I think with their win at the Pulse Invitational, they're actually ahead of TSM in terms of points. Because even though TSM has more first place finishes, um, they have been scattered between show matches C tier, and then they won the only A tier tournament that's happened so far um, out of all Valorant tournaments. But uh, Genji has had a little bit more consistent first place finishes. Um, they yeah. finished first or second in most of their B tier Um matches that they've had so it's also a pretty big force to be reckoned with um so 
uh, yeah. that means that this upcoming tournament actually is even more important, um, which is the PAX Arena Invitational, which is being hosted completely online. It would have been at PAX, I believe, what, July? No, it wouldn't have been PAX Prime yet. I don't know what PAX this normally is. I think it's PAX West. Um, yeah, I think I think it is PAX West. I think that's correct. But uh, this... This one looks really interesting because it's going to have uh, 20 teams as a part of it. And it looks yeah, so big. Yeah, what I was going to say is, can you go through uh, kind of what are those 20 teams real quick? Um, it, it'll probably be a little bit monologue but I, I think mm-hmm. you you can run it down for us real quick. Yeah. Just, just yeah. for all the listeners, you know? So- um, all of these teams were invited. So really quickly, um, there are there is a slight difference. Um, an invitational means that all of the teams are invited, and open means that there are some teams who get in through an open qualifier. Um, so all of these teams were invited, which means they're all pro teams that have some level of professionality and connection to uh, the organization, as well as showing that they've been performing consistently well um, at other tournaments. So I believe this is the first big invitational that there's been, which means that all of these are the accumulation of all of the top performing teams right now in Valorant in North America. Um, So right now those teams are uh, T1, which is, this is their second tournament that they've been a part of. Um, I will like to note that this is a B tier tournament. So this is the first B tier tournament that T1 has participated in. They only participated in uh, the A-tier tournament, which was the T1 Showdown Invitational uh, that happened earlier, that TSM beat T1 in. Um, so this is the biggest B-tier tournament we have. So T1 is here. Uh, then Gen G Prospects, which is a team that's been around playing in a few tournaments, making it out of groups, but not much further. Um, Echo 8, which is around the same thing as Pro- Prospects. 100 B-Lifted, um, which actually is Ninja's team um if you all didn't know <clears throat> that's the way that they uh do it now instead of just team ninja um so i like that they now have an official name um tsm cloud nine built by gamers which is actually a team i have not seen uh before i think um some of the players have been on different teams um but then got all put together onto this one team called built by gamers so excited to see them uh mix up um, which is the team that includes Thief and Hoppin on it. Um, 100 Thieves, which is the team that's headed by Hiko and Venerated. Um, Way Too French, which is a team that was actually just in the... Uh, they were not only in the T1 tournament, but also the Pulse Invitational. Complexity Gaming, which I believe was just created um, as a team. Renegades. Uh, Team Mango, which is just headed by Mango. Um, he's a streamer. Um, and also, I believe, was a CSGO pro back in the day. Uh, Team Owl, which is the gaming owl. I don't know if this is um, the War Owl or not. Um, but for those of you who don't know, the War Owl is a YouTuber who plays really high-level um, CSGO and then was also invited to the beta and alpha versions of Valorant. Um, so this would be exciting if this was his team. I don't know if that's his actual name, is the Gaming Owl or not, but that's pretty cool. Team Envy, who was in a lot of the earlier tournaments this year, um, but then kind of had a little hiatus and is now coming back for this one. 
Team Immortals, who constantly gets out of groups and performs very well in group stages, actually, so a force to be reckoned with, headed by Asuna. Um, Sentinels, which, like I said, one of my favorite teams. Um, they've got all XCSGO mechanical gods. Homeless, um, which is Psalm's team. Um, they actually finally have a name. I can't remember what their name was before, but now their name is called Homeless. And then Team Kefri which is the only one that's named after uh, its captain. So Kefri. Oh, no, and Mango, both of those teams. Um, but yeah, today's the first day that these uh, games are actually happening. Um, so a couple games have already happened uh, at this point. At this point, um, C9 has beaten Complexity. Renegade has beaten Owl. Uh, Prospects has beaten Mango. TSM whoa, 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 whoa. Huh. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit about this tournament, um, that's going on right now, and then you know we're not going to finish it because it's not over yet, and, and we'll talk about like the end result in in another uh, oh, yeah. episode. So, so don't worry if you're listening and you're like, wait, but that just happened, and and I want to hear about that. We we will talk about it, um, sometime later this week or early next week, and, and we'll have that for you too. Yeah, these are all the group stage matches. I'm assuming that hopefully you are either currently watching them or you weren't going to watch the highlights of all of these <laughs> group stage matches. So that's kind of why I was like giving you current up-to-date info. Uh, but TSM mm-hmm. just one owed Homeless, T1 one owed Echo 8, and then uh, Way Too French upload one owed Team Kefri. Um and ironically, all of the teams on the left so far are the teams who have gotten uh, the victory. So I believe that's uh, starting on defense. Um, so yeah, defense is OP. Anyways, <laughs> um, we got a big lineup of teams here. Um, and this is a pretty big prize pool too. The total prize pool, I believe, is somewhere around 25,000. Yeah, 25,000. Um, so first place getting 10. Um, and I don't know. I'm excited. Um, I believe this tournament is being played on patch 1.03. Um, so not the one that just came out. Um, that's normally how Riot does things. That's normally how most games do things is they don't make you play on the a new patch literally the day it comes out. Um, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um and since most of the stuff hasn't happened in this tournament yet, um, I think that it's safe to say that uh, since there are only going to be four teams, or eight teams, sorry, that advance to playoffs, and we've got a lot of good teams here, um, the matches, at least right after the group stages, are going to be super exciting because we'll be narrowed down to the best eight teams out of 20 this time, um, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely think that is cool, and and I'm excited for this tournament, given that there's so many teams to, to see what happens. Yeah. Um, so I did mention um, this might be played on patch 1.03 instead of 1.04. 1.04 just came out today. Um, do we want to go over those patch notes right now? Yeah, why, why don't we go over those? Uh why, why don't you run them down and, and I'll kind of give you my thoughts because I've already looked at it and that generated some thoughts. So um, run it down for everyone and, and I'll let them know what to think about it, you know, because I like mm-hmm. giving my opinion. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. So um, from a 
High level start, we've got four uh, agent updates. So those are on Viper, Brimstone, um, Rays, and Cypher. And then we're going to have a little bit of updates to the Classics Alternate Fire, which is its burst mode, its right click. Um, and then there were some UI updates, which are very nice. I always appreciate UI updates. So um, moving in first to Viper, which is the biggest change of this patch. Um, Morello has been constantly saying that Viper needs buffs um, ever since 1.0 when Viper came out mm -hmm. um, with the release of the game and more people were able to try her out. Um, so what they ended up doing is they increased the max time for Viper's Pit uh, before it collapses from 5 seconds to 15 seconds. So they tripled the amount of time that Viper can be outside of her ultimate before it drops. She can also make plays with it uh, by holding the ability, she's able to actually drop it early so that she doesn't have to uh, manage all of that. So let's say your team is defending a site and Viper's ult actually isn't that great on defense on a bomb site. But sometimes you're not able to actually get into a more aggressive position and you need to ult now. So you can ult to actually block off enemy vision as they're coming in. Uh, get an opening pick and then get information from what you hear and then you're able to run away and then drop it and then the rest of your team can be prepared for when the enemies are going to come in. So I think that's a pretty good change. Um, also, enemies in Viper's Pit have their minimap obscured much like uh, Omen's Ultimate from the other team where the minimap goes black. Um, and then when you're actually inside of Viper's Pit, um, they updated the red coloration around enemies when uh, they're inside of Viper's Pit for Viper so that you can see them a little bit more clearly. So a slight buff to her vision inside of her pit. So what do you think about that ultimate change for starters? I think it's big because it also means you can go in and out, mm -hmm. right? Like you, you don't necessarily have to be just or just out. Um, and I think that's big because I've seen a lot of Vipers right once they come out they're, they're kind of stuck um and, and it and it kind of blinds you too right so, so you can go in get a frag and then the other team knows that you're within it you have a chance to leap right without it going down basically mm -hmm. um whereas previously if you got a frag you know if the other team was on comms they could let you know um let their teammates know and Oh yeah, you just cut out. Oh, sorry. I I, oh, I, I said it. I said oh. it, it. It it resolves that kind of issue, right? That you have. Oh yeah. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Um. And then also a small thing for it too is that if an enemy does see Viper in her pit, um, she's not shown on the mini map to people who are outside of the pit. Also. Um, so you're not going to be able to blind fire where you saw Viper on the minimap because you're not going to see her on the minimap if you're not in the pit, which I think is pretty cool. Um, right. I think that's useful too. And then the other thing is decay. So, um, enemies, the decay per second increased from 10 to 15 from all sources. So it was a 50% increase on decay. Um, decay is already mm -hmm. pretty fast. Um, if you've ever stood in, uh, her smoke screen or anything like that before, um, it really takes you down to one pretty quickly if you're sitting inside of it for a decent amount of time. Uh, so I do like this change, but it probably wasn't necessary because decay already, la uh, really takes you down pretty quick. 
Um, but then the second one I think is significantly more important. It's after exiting Viper's smokes, uh, enemy decay sustains for two and a half seconds before starting to fade. Um, so basically what this means is if I was standing in Viper's poison orb, which was very pushed through by a lot of people, um, this was one of the complaints about Viper is that her smokes aren't actually that impactful because um, the decay doesn't matter that much. Um, but now, mm. if I push through that smoke, which takes an average of about two seconds to get through, I'm going to be down 30 health um, from where I would have been, which means that that 50 armor that I bought uh, puts me at about 120 for two and a half seconds once leaving it. That means that I can get uh, one tapped by a phantom at long range instead of needing it to be a vandal. Um, that's, I think this is pretty big. I think that if it even takes longer for you to push through any smokes, um, that it wouldn't be beneficial for you because you could be taken down to one and then you could be body shot, uh, one tapped, which I think is really strong. Um, but this was also something that I expected from her for a while. I didn't understand the reason why you regened back your health so quickly after exiting Viper Decay. Um, I didn't understand why it didn't persist at all. It made it really, it made it more so something that you would have to spray into, but you would never know when the enemies were entering the smoke. So you couldn't spray into it. Like th there were only very niche situations, like where you have a Sova and a Viper on the same team and on the same defending side, basically, because you can't really do it on offense. And it just didn't really make sense. So you'd have to build this whole team comp around it. Now, that decay actually sustains for a little bit afterwards. Um, so I think that's a very good change, even if it might be a little bit OP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good change, and I think it might be a little OP. I think another big thing to note is the EQ, right? Not caught, like the E and the smoke not, not costing uh, increased rate when used at the same yeah. time. Because that yeah. really, I mean, before you could only keep them up for such a short period of time and that really hindered you because you would want both up. And I think that's huge, right? Because that, that increased, like it basically allows you to use both at the same time for the same length as one um, and or like it, for the same, for a longer length. And that allows you to hold the site a lot better, right? I think that makes yeah. her a really good controller versus just an okay one, right? Because before I think she was more like equal to Omen with smokes and I think her smokes were weaker. Um, whereas now, right with the wall, she definitely surpasses Omen in, in controllability. That given that she can keep the wall and smokes up for longer than just a very short period of time. Yeah, I 100% agree. I also think this makes her a significantly better anchor on a site uh, because now mm -hmm. she's able to have both of her smokes up at once, which normally she couldn't have done for very long. Um, but that allows her to get in early information and then be able to potentially get a pick and then turn on all of her smokes that she has set up and then rotate somewhere else, um, which I think is really powerful. So a great change and a welcome one. Um, the next two are pretty small for both Raze and Brimstone. They're nerfs. Um, Raze's nerf is that her Showstopper Ultimate now has her cost changed from six to seven, and Brimstone's is the same. His ultimate has changed from six to seven ult points. I think that these are well-deserved nerfs, and I think that they're in the right place uh, because those ults both have a
generally can net you multiple kills if used correctly. Um, and not a lot of other ultimates can really say the same right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving them up from six to seven makes a lot of sense in my mind. Um, I don't know uh, about you or I, anything else. I, I agree. I think um, that the, the they needed to be changed because they would just get spammed. Um, which would make them even harder to deal with, right? Because if you get a kill or two off of them, you get them back soon. And then, you know, you're, like, getting kills, you're dying. I mean, you could use them way more in a round uh, than you could a seven. And they were very good at getting frags or, in Brimstone's case, stopping plants or um, mm-hmm. and so, so or, or defuses. And it was just, like, occurring too much, right? I, I feel like it gave too much ability to those, and, and I'm glad they took away from it a little bit. Um, the thing I'm really excited about is is the classic changes. Um, I think it's yeah. actually huge because not only was it a nerf to jump, jump spraying, which, which a lot of people were doing and, and getting killed on, it's also a boost to um, standstill shots um, mm-hmm. and, and walking shots accuracy, which I think is really good because I think I feel, at least personally, a lot that I was being punished for for having like a better accuracy position and st- like right walking slowly and and shooting and mm-hmm. I would have terrible accuracy yet someone who was running sprinting at me and then jumping up into the air and spraying w- was getting actually equal or better aim um like added up right between the shots and it was just kind of seemed unfair and, and now they've tuned it yeah. so that you have an you have an advantage if you're the one standing still and actually aiming and they increased the the crouch accuracy as well so it's now a crouchable like a better crouch mechanic too yeah so i think it just makes it it feel more consistent with the rest of the game because i think in right nowhere nowhere else in the game did you see that it was a good idea to run up and like jump at people and spray um so i think that's good yeah and i i think that uh what's interesting is that they also fixed uh, a bug with running and spraying. Um, so running with pistols has traditionally, like, that's been something that's been in Counter-Strike before. Like, the advantage of having a pistol um, and having to do an eco round but going into rifles is that you are actually flexible and able to move while still being relatively accurate. It's not going to be, like, the same as standing still, but it's actually pretty close. Um, and there was actually a bug that they found where when spraying with the pistol um, with your right click um, or I I believe also just tapping uh, with your left click, um, it was way more inaccurate than it was supposed to be. So I think this actually brings the classic into a pretty nice spot. Um, I think that one of the reasons players gravitated towards jumping and right clicking was because that's kind of how it was supposed to operate with running. Um, so I think that it's going to net in no change. Um, people who use the classic and like it are still going to like it and use it. Um, it'll just mean that you have to play it with a di- slightly different play style, where instead of jumping, you're going to be doing a little bit more uh, strafing left and right, um, which is kind of like what you do with the ghost and stuff already. Um, mm-hmm. And then the only other change was Cypher can now pick up his cyber cages during the buy phase. Um, I think this is just a really good quality of life change. Uh, most of the time, you accidentally hit a button while you're buying or something, um, mm-hmm. or you accidentally misplace a cyber cage in particular, and you really want to pick it up and put it back because you kind of just barely missed something. 
Um, so I, I think this just helps him just a little bit. I don't know if it'll affect his win rate at all, um, but I think it's really nice quality of life-wise. Yeah, I, I think it will be as well. I, I totally agree on that. Um, so hot take, what do you, what do you think about Viper? Is she finally viable? Um, given that the new meta is shotguns and operators, um, controllers have been super strong in the operator meta. Um, and I I think so gives you that decay too, which will help for, uh, less than ideal positioning with shotguns. Right. Yeah. So I would say yes. Um, but only with Cypher comps, I think you will be the only time you see it in Pro. Um, you'll definitely see it in Solo um, slash Five Skew. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in, in your competitive games, you, you'll, you'll see him, or you'll see her, you'll see Viper, and you'll see people playing Viper. But I think you'll only see it in Pro paired with a Cypher, and I think it's because because of the, the time limit, right? Um, e- even though it's gone up, it's still... Uh, not quite the same as a brim smoke. It needs to be timed right, and so I think uh, it'll be paired with a cipher, right? Because if you can get a cipher camera um, or a tripwire and know when the enemy team's about to come in, then Viper will be really strong because hers are stronger. Um, her her smokes and her wall are stronger if you get the right timing on them. So I think right. paired with a cipher, it, it could be really it could be used in pro. Um, but I definitely think you'll you'll see it in competitive games. What about you? Yeah, I think so too. Um, and because of that, because she's getting all of these buffs, I really quickly want to go over um, counterplay to her kit because her kit has stayed the exact same. They've just buffed the numbers on it. Um, so sure. one of the things is one of the things that made her a little bit weaker and a little bit more susceptible is. AOE ultimates on top of her Viper's Pit, so that's Brimstone and Raze in particular. Um, Really good. Even Breach, too, uh, for entrying. Uh, Really good against Viper's Pit. So normally you want to save your ult for her ult um, if the Viper is on offense, because that's going to be one of the ways that she can easily plant. Um, And most of the time, only her or maybe another uh, player are going to be inside that ultimate at once. Um, so you can just ult right on top of that and counter it, uh, essentially. Um, the other thing was that most people suggested pushing through her smokes. I would take away that now and say only her wall, because her wall is so thin, the decay is not going to have as much of an effect on you. Um, so I think that that is another thing that you can still do. Um, and also trying to gain as much information on where the Viper is as possible. Um, so if she is walled and also uh, poison clouded one site, it's very likely that she's anchoring that site, um, which means that if you have someone like a Sova or a Cypher who can lurk and actually get information about where she might be on that site, you have a really easy access into it. Um, that's normally the... Uh, I think that's everything that I have on her. The only other thing is that she was just updated last patch to have that fragile um, debuff with her snake bite, uh, which makes you take double damage and it also deals damage to you. Um, Mm -hmm. So be very, very cautious about her poison cloud plus uh, snake bite combo because you're going to be taking 15 damage per second from her decay. That will be doubled to 30. 
damage that the snake bite does to you, um, which is normal. It's about the amount of damage of a, uh, uh, what's it called? A Phoenix, um, hot hands. Mm. Um, so if you know how much damage that is about, like you can bunny hop out of it, but if you're also in, um, some sort of decay at the same time, you're probably dead. Uh, so just be wary of that. Um, right. I think this makes pushing through her smokes a lot more risky. Um, but her yeah, wall is still sure. just as susceptible. <clears throat> <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to talk about in the patch notes? Um, I don't think so. I think that this only really changes where I see Viper on the tier list, and I won't really know where to place her until we've seen some pro matches, plus I've played a little bit of solo queue with it. Um, I think mm-hmm. Raze is still really strong because she's a duelist. She's going to get to those seven old points really quickly, and she liked spamming her ultimate anyway, so it's not going to be a huge change. I think it means that she might get one less ultimate, um, and for lower elo people, it might mean that they get two less ultimates, um, but overall won't be as impactful. Um, and I think it's close to the same with Brimstone. Brimstone's more of a controller, so you might want to hold it for like the right moment, but more often than not, Brimstone was using his ult the round that he got it. Um, so also not as big of a change to switch from six to seven. Um, mm-hmm. And then Cypher just, it feels better to play. So if you were a frustrated yeah. Cypher player like I was when I first tried him out, I only played him, I think, for like five matches. And I was like, this is really hard. Um, maybe it'll be a little bit easier to, uh, it's a little bit more forgiving now. Mm-hmm. Um but that's it. I am a classic player, so I'm actually excited for these changes because I never really got down the jump spray, but I've been pretty good at the strafing um, attacks or the strafing and shooting. Um, so I'm actually really excited to try out the new classic. Cool. I'll have to. Um, we'll have to queue up very soon, maybe even uh, after recording this episode, and we'll have to, you know, get down to it. You know, we can play Viper and Cipher, and we can do some classic. You know, we'll just run a classic every round. Who needs to buy? Classic every round. Right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, unless you had anything else that you 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 wanted to bring up, I, I think that wraps it up for this one. Um, yeah. Because we 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 are, will be recording another one on Valorant very soon because there's a tournament ongoing right now, uh, and we'll we'll kind of talk a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So we'll definitely cover uh, after the PAX Invitational, how that went, what the different compositions were that were coming out um, and trying to track, you know, how this operator meta is being evolved. What most people are doing right now is a double controller composition with a mix of Cypher as a requirement and then two Mm -hmm. other units that people want. Um, But we'll see. We'll see how things change going into this one. Yep. Um, I'm excited and we'll definitely be on the, you should definitely be on the lookout, uh, for our next episode on Valorant because it will be coming out soon. Um, hit us up on Twitter, ask us any questions about Valorant that you have and have a good week. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. Have a good week. Thanks for listening.